Well, good morning. You can be seated today. It's good to have you here at church. It's the dreaded Sunday after Easter uh, that every pastor experiences on Easter morning. The house is full of people, and then the next week it's an empty tomb again. And uh, <laughs> But it's good to be with you. Hey, I just wanted to thank all of you. Oh, no, Ray, you're here, and that's all that matters. Um, it's good to have you all here. Um, th- let me just thank you all. I know many of you invited friends and family and just people last week. Thank you for doing that. Um, you know, what we're called to do as a church is to invite and to sow seeds and to, to, to allow people the opportunity. So thank you for inviting people, bringing them with you. Uh, we are so grateful for that. We're going to start a brand new series this morning uh, in the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible, turn to uh, Jonah chapter 1. Uh, this series is called The Prodigal Prophet. And uh, you've probably heard a story called The Prodigal Son, or as other translations might call it, The Lost Son. And if you really look at that story, there's two lost sons. You have a younger son who goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance now. And um, if you know anything about, I guess, the way things were in that culture, the older child would get more of the inheritance than the younger child, more like two-thirds. And so rather than trying to live out his brother, he went ahead and asked for his inheritance and got about a third of what was to be given and he went and lived the most careless life you could possibly live. He went and wasted it on things he should have never wasted it on. And um, then he came back one day, came to his senses, and he went home and he begged his father just to be a servant. But his father didn't make him a servant. He, he, uh, he, he remembered his sonship and he knew that he was a son. And he brought him in and welcomed him, accepted him as a son. He killed the fattened calf, and he gave him that robe, and he gave him that ring, and the sandals, and all these things that he he did to welcome him back home. He showed him grace and mercy, like a a great father, like our Heavenly Father would do. Then there was what's called the elder brother in the story, and the elder brother, he did everything right. If you look at the story, he stayed home, he managed the farm, he did what everyone would assume was the right thing to do. But the problem he had, much like the Pharisees, is he had zero compassion, zero empathy, and zero love. He wasn't doing it for the Father, he was doing it for himself. He was obeying from a moralistic standpoint, not out of a love that he had for his Father. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something in the next moment that may seem a little weird to do at church, but just bear with me this morning. I want you to think of a person, maybe they're in your life, maybe there's someone you read about in the news, maybe there's someone you read about in history, we have plenty of those people, but I want you to think of a person or a group of people who you believe are evil. Maybe it's someone that really, really hurts you, don't, don't elbow your spouse, don't do any of that this morning. People who you think of in your life, and you've probably heard this phrase before, there's a special place in hell for people like that. That's who I want you to be thinking of. People who seem so wicked and so evil, I want you to get that in your mind because we're going to be dealing with a group of people like that today. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that out. If you have your iPhone, you can grab that out. Or if you have some lesser quality device than an iPhone, you can grab that out as well. Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city. And he wasn't saying great city like, wow, it's such a great city. He was saying it's a great city. It has influence. It has power. 
of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound to the, for the port, that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God told him to go one place, he went the opposite direction. But if we start out in the very first verse, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, if you go through the prophetic books in the Old Testament, you'll see that phrase a lot. The word of the Lord came to a specific person. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah or, you know, other prophets in the Old Testament. So it starts out very similar. But there's three interesting things about the book of Jonah that I want to just kind of set as a foundation piece this morning. And the first one is this, is that Jonah, he was a Hebrew prophet and he was called to go to a Gentile city. This is the first time that a prophet up to this point has ever been called to go somewhere. Typically, they're call, they, they were calling out their own. They were calling out Israelites. There were occasions where they were calling out um, other nations, but they weren't going to them. This is the very first time we see where a prophet is called to actually go to another place um, to be with them. Now, he was called to go to a place called Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked and evil place. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was one of the most cruel and violent empires in ancient days. So here, I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of just how evil they were. You know, there's wars, and they defeat their enemies. One of the things that they did to humiliate their enemy was they would, after they would defeat their enemy and, and maybe capture other people from where they were, they would cut off the legs of, of those people that they killed or that they were killing. They would cut off one of their arms and they would leave one arm attached and in ultimate humiliation, they would shake the hand in ultimate mockery of just defeating and destroying them. They would do things like this. They had these long poles and posts and uh, after they captured family member and friends of those that they had killed, they would put the heads, decapitated heads, of their friends or family members on top of the pole and make their friend or family member walk and march in a parade holding that on a post in humiliation. They were wicked and evil people. The people that they captured, they would pull their tongues out of their mouths. And one of the other terrible things that they did was they burned adolescents alive. And in 722 BC, they invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital, Samaria. And yet somehow this was the object of God's missionary journey, outreach for Jonah. So there's something I want to say that we all need to take very seriously as people as this, is there was no reason to send a warning unless there was a possibility of averting judgment. One thing we see throughout scripture is this idea that mercy precedes judgment. God will give us a way out. God will give us a path forward. God will, will warn us before something comes upon us. Typically, he warns us of our evil. He warns us of the path you're going is not the right path. You need to head a different direction. So we have a prophet being sent out for the first time. We have an extremely wicked city. And then we have the prophet himself named Jonah. 
Now, Jonah was interesting because he served or he ministered during the time of Jeroboam II. And this was between the time of 786 B.C. and 746 B.C. And uh, as he ministered, unlike other prophets like Amos and Hosea and uh, some other ones that would call out the administration or call out leadership for injustice and unrighteousness, he supported Jeroboam's aggressive military policy to extend the power and influence of Israel. He wanted the power and influence of Israel to go beyond the borders. He was what you would call someone in our terminology, I guess we would call a person like him, deeply patriotic. And so take someone who's deeply patriotic to, to the Israelites, to Israel, a nation of Israel, and now he has to go to a place that's so wicked and evil they've captured part of Israel, and he's supposed to go and warn them. Nothing about this whole story really makes a whole lot of sense. Put it in some other context that we might be able to really kind of wrap our heads around. I want you to think about a Jewish rabbi going to the streets of Berlin in 1941 and ordering the Nazis to repent. How success, successful do you think that mission would be? Probably very, very slim. And his chance of death would be very, very high. So Jonah did what a lot of us would probably do. He went the opposite direction. He did the exact opposite of what God called him to do. God told him to go east, and he went west. Throw on top of this, there was another prophet named Nahum, who he had, he had already prophesied the destruction of Nineveh. And so a successful mission by Jonah, would it would mean a few things, but a couple things that it would mean is that the promise of destroying Nineveh, giving them an opportunity to re repent, a, su a successful mission to Nineveh would destroy God's promise to Israel, and it would prove Nahum to be a false prophet. And why would God do that? So we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. But here's what happened. Jonah, like many of us, concluded that just because he didn't see any good reasons for God's command, that there just couldn't be any. If I don't see a good reason why I should do this, there must not be a good reason, right? So in his mind, he must have been thinking, potentially doubting the goodness of God, loving such wicked people, the justice of God and wrestling. Why would God show justice to people like this? Why would he show mercy and compassion? And so he, like us, would think this way. If there is a God, we think, he might not know what he's doing. So here's the question that all of us in this room have wrestled with at some point in our lives. We maybe have asked it in a different way, but here's the question. Does God know what's best or do we? Do you know what's best or does God know what's best? And our default mode is always to decide what we think is best. Well, I think it's best and so it must be what's right. I don't know if anybody has teenagers in here um, or you've never known a teenager like this before. God's coming back before our kids are teenagers, so we don't have to worry about this. But those of you who have teenagers... 
you've had to worry about this. Sometimes, and I know it's really rare, but sometimes teenagers think they know more than they actually do. And parents, there may have been a time, and it's very rare, that they would pretend that they knew more than you actually knew. And they would make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about. They have got the whole world figured out. And while we can laugh and we do all that, the truth is sometimes we're those teenagers. Sometimes we think we have God figured out. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look really quick at the story of, of Adam. And in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, I want to read this. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. God gave him a command. God gave Jonah a command. But here's what happened. He didn't give a good reason as to why it would be wrong to eat. He didn't say, don't eat this because. He just said, don't eat it. He commanded him not to eat it. The only one who added things to it was who? It was the, de- it was the devil. It was the enemy. Here's what's going to happen. If you eat of this, you'll be like him. The the devil put things in their mind. But God did not give a reason why it was wrong for them to eat. So like Jonah, Adam and Eve decided that if they couldn't think of a good reason for a command of God, there just must not be one. We do the same thing. In Romans, we see themes throughout the Bible. In Romans chapter 1, we see people who are disobedient and rebellious and running away from God in their disobedience. In chapter 2, we see people running from God in their righteousness. And yes, I said that right, in their self-righteousness. They were running from God like the elder brother by their goodness and by their obedience to things. But they were obeying and doing the right things to do the right things like the Pharisees, not because they loved God, but so that they could hold it over everybody else, just how wonderful they were. And so after looking at both the pagan, immoral Gentiles, and then the Bible-believing moral Jews, Paul says this in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So one group is trying diligently to follow God's law and the other completely ignores it. And Paul says that they both turned away. I mentioned earlier the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. The the younger son was running from God in his disobedience and rebelliousness. The older brother, the elder brother was running from God in his obedience and self-righteousness. So when we look at Jonah, there's a few things to look at here. The first two chapters, Jonah disobeys and runs away from the Lord, ultimately repents and asks God for his grace. 
or ask for God's grace. Reminds us of the prodigal son. The second two chapters, Jonah gets angry in his self-righteousness at God's grace and mercy to sinners. (laughs) He gets angry because God's gracious to people. And God's merciful to people. Why? Because he doesn't have compassion or empathy in him. And this all comes to the reason why this morning we were singing about God's love and God spoke to us through tongue and interpretation about God's love, I believe. So that the problem facing Jonah and the rest of us in this room is this. It's the mystery of God's mercy. I don't understand it. Why does God allow really, really amazing people who love God to get really terrible diseases and die. Why does God do that? And then there are really, really terrible and wicked and evil people. And they seem to live very long lives. Why does God do that stuff? That to me, that's frustrating. (laughs) And here's a real key point that he's trying to teach us in the book of Jonah, and it's this, that unless Jonah can see his own sin and see himself as living holy by God's grace and mercy, he will never understand how God can be merciful to evil people and still be just and faithful. God can be merciful to wicked and evil people and still at the same time be just and faithful. Now, we need to put ourselves in that language right there. Unless we can see our own sin and see ourselves as living holy by God's grace and mercy, we'll never understand how God can be merciful to wicked people and evil people and be just and faithful. So there's a few things that are going on in the book of of Jonah as we start off. And today is really just kind of laying a little bit of a foundation. And so there's a few thoughts I want to give as we we kind of wind down this morning. And the first first thing I want us to, to really look at and grab a hold of is this, is that if you don't understand what God is doing or what God's done, or maybe perhaps some people, there's even some times in our lives where we might get a little bit angry with God. I want to encourage you with a scripture. The scripture is found in Isaiah chapter 55, and it's Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, because there will be times in your life where you just don't understand. You may think you understand, but you may not wholeheartedly understand. Here's what it says in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways My ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God sees things that we cannot see. There was a song that we were singing this morning, and and it says some language in it that makes me question the writer of the song. Because it says, that it says a phrase in there. It says, oh my God, you will not delay. Has anybody here ever experienced the delay of God? Because in other chapters it says, wait upon the Lord. But I wonder, I just wonder. We see things as delay. 
but it's almost as if we assume that God isn't working. Because we're not seeing the answer we want in the timetable and in the fashion and form that we want to see it, we automatically assume that God's not working, God doesn't care, God's forgot about me. We make assumptions about what God is doing or not doing. And, and, and there are so many times that this verse comes in handy because, just honestly, we don't think the way that God thinks. We just don't. That's why it's so important and so valuable for each one of us when we don't understand to align ourselves with God and even tell God, God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, I don't get this. Why did you allow this to happen? Why is this happening to my family member? Why did this happen at work? Why is this happening in my finances? We're to go to God with these things. Say, so God, I may not understand, but there's, but there's another key phrase that goes with that that says, but I trust you. And that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. Especially when we truly don't understand a situation. But I just want to encourage you, when you don't understand something, the first place to go is to God. And as you do, God will help you align yourself with maybe he has some plans and maybe he sees it from a different angle that you're not seeing it from. So if you don't understand what God's doing, if you don't understand what he's done, if you might find yourself a little bit angry with God this morning, I want to encourage you to understand he, he has a plan. He's working. He's moving. He's doing things. His ways are higher than our ways. And the result that you want to happen isn't what the best result is for your life anyway. Remember what we said earlier? We asked the question earlier, does God know what's best or do we? And the answer is always God knows best. Like Jonah, like Romans 1, like the prodigal son, if you're running from God in disobedience, you can experience his mercy today. Some of us know we're disobeying God. We're doing things we shouldn't be doing. And maybe we're fearful of getting caught. But God does the thing. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes when he does that, there's this... Sometimes, have you ever just felt that tension in you? Where you know something's not quite right. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have went there. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. There's this tension. You know something's off in you. And some of you here are living with that tension, doing things you know you ought not to be doing. You know it in your head. And yet you're not coming to God for grace and mercy. The Bible tells us in James, when we know that we're sinning, it, it tells us... Um, Sorry, my mind's going blank this morning. Um, to him that knows to do the right thing and doeth it not, to him it is sin. When we, most of us, we know the right way. Some of you in here, you know, like, if your mom or dad could sit you down, they would say, you know better. And God would lovingly sit us down. He's trying to warn these people. And he's saying, you know better. He's sending a prophet to let them know there's a better way. So if you're running from God in disobedience today, like the prodigal son, like Jonah, 
like the, the people in Romans chapter 1, you can experience the mercy and grace of God. This is the one that I'm going to, the one that I'm going to speak of next is the more challenging one. And it's this. If you're running from God in your self-righteousness today, you can repent and receive his mercy today. This is the one that's more difficult to con convince people of. Our self-righteousness, our pride. Have you ever met anybody before who's always the smartest person in the room? It doesn't matter what room they're in. They are the smartest person. However, have you ever met someone who, is, who, who comes across just so self-righteous? They're better than everyone. They are smarter than everyone. They know more about God than everyone. And they follow the rules better than anyone else. And any rule that you don't follow, they will point it out. And there are people, let me just tell you this. It's one of the most exhausting ways to live your life. Because you're always one-upping. You're always better. You're always, be you're always greater than everyone else. And it's hard for us to understand that maybe, just maybe, we're not as great as we think we are. So we have people who don't understand what God's doing. And so they run like Jonah does. We have people who run from God by, by just disobedience. And we have people who run from God in their obedience, doing all of the right things, being extremely moralistic. But just like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, it's not because they have any love of the father. They love themselves more than they love the Father. And God's calling them out. He's going to be calling. So as we get into the story of Jonah and we see the wickedness that is abounding, as we see God send a prophet to save them and to warn them, I believe God allows us to see ourselves in some of these stories. So I'm going to ask Diane to come forward this morning. I just want to pray as we prepare to leave, as we close this morning, and I want to ask those questions as we leave. I want you to stand with me, and I just want to pray as we close. <clears throat> you may find yourself here, you may find yourself watching online, and there's some things that you don't understand about what God's done or what he's doing. Some of you are mad at God. And he's calling you to him today. And he's saying, hey, my ways are higher. I'm seeing something you're not seeing. And so you need to align yourself with God today and say, God, I don't understand. God, I don't get it. God, I don't think this is even the best way about going about it, but I trust you. So some of you need to align yourself by putting your trust in God, even though you don't understand. Some of you find yourself running from God and disobedience. You are doing things you know you ought not to be doing. 
and you may be the only one who knows about it. Except God. And God is lovingly, like he's doing with the, the people in Nineveh, he's lovingly warning you and saying, hey, you don't have to live with that tension anymore. You don't have to live with that feeling of getting caught anymore. You can live a peaceful life. And then for those of us who fall in this category, and I would say, just honestly, I would, I would probably find myself more in this category where we're trying to do the right things, we're, we're doing it, but sometimes we, we might do it for the wrong motive. We might do it just because we think it's the right thing. But sometimes we don't consult the Father and sometimes we're, we're doing the right things like the Pharisees, but not because we love God or because we love people. We're doing it so we can pat ourselves on the back and let everyone know how righteous we are. So I want you to bow your head with me this morning.